Hey everybody, welcome back to The Pixelist, the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. As always, I'm Will, that's Blake, and today we're here to talk about some Critical Role. Before we get into it, how you doing buddy? Good, it's like super late at night, this is like the only time that we could record, and did I spot a Jeremy in the studio today? (laughs) (laughs) You you did. You did indeed. He made a made a special appearance. I don't know how I feel uh, about our... that. I, I was walking in, he was walking out, and just he kind of gave me like a little shove, you know, kind of a mean mug. Well, you know, I'm sure it's all in good fun. You know. Well no, he spit in my coffee too. Mm. Well, you probably deserved it if that's <laughs> the case. You know, he's typically a pretty upstanding guy. Hooch is crazy. <laughs> Hooch is actually crazy. <laughs> Uh, but I'm good though. Um, how are you? I'm good, man. Like you said, it's late. This may be in contention for one of our latest ever recordings, a little pixelous after dark. And yeah. I'm, actually I'm kind of in a, a weird space because one, it's a little, late. Bit, of, a little bit of a fugue state. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Okay. Um, c- cause it's late. And so like my mind space is like, we just finished critical role. Like, like it just aired live. We watched it and we popped on to record. That's not what we're doing, but it feels that way because I just finished the finale of the Ravening War. Ooh. And like we're jumping into Discuss D D, but like we're not talking but, Ravening War right not now. The Ravening but War. That's yeah. just like that's just like kind of the weird space I'm in. That's what it feels like. Um, yeah. I still have to finish episode five. Uh, I have like almost an hour left. So yeah, you need to, and then you need to jump on the finale because it's good, and I'm excited to, to yeah. talk about that. Uh, but today, like I already mentioned, we are talking a little CR, you know, our uh, our bread and butter. And um, yeah, like you said, it is late, so I don't want to waste too much time here, but anything to anything to say before we dive in? We, we still need to do this video on Diablo. Like yeah, our- we do. Our thoughts on Diablo Four. Yeah, we do. And I which this, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, you got it. <laughs> <clears throat> this 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 conversation isn't really for now, but I just while we're talking about it, so I don't forget. I was thinking about that, and I was like, somebody joked on one of um your recent videos. Which, by the way, y'all, uh, Blake has been putting out some Diablo Four content. If you haven't seen it. I know a lot of you guys maybe don't play Diablo, but for those of you that do, definitely check it out. And even if you don't, check it out. Help us out. Blake worked hard on it. We would really appreciate <laughs> it. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, on one of those videos, somebody like joked and said, when's the D4 lore yeah. discussion? And I was like, you know what? We should kind of like dive into the story a bit in that video because that would be kind of fun yeah. to talk about, I think. Yeah. And, you know, for now without spoiling anything, the story's pretty good for Diablo four. And there's also just a lot of really great lore stuff in general with Diablo. Um, it's not like the best story you'll ever experience in your entire life, but by blizzard standards, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty good story. So yeah, there's definitely probably some opportunity there. Um, though I'm not, I'm not sure what that'll look like. So yeah, I guess let us know in the comments if you want that kind of lore discussion and what you'd want it to look like. Yeah. So also, you, or, go ahead. yeah, just quick disclaimer. I think, the way this is going to work, it's not going to be an issue because I know Blake is also recording. But for some reason on my end, Blake's camera is coming through blurry and I don't know why. But 
like I said, you, the audience, you guys may never even see that, but yeah. in case you do apologies, it'll hopefully fix. Cause it, it has yeah. been, but anyway, yeah. I just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. Well, let's jump into our discussion of critical role. This is episode 61, I think. Yes, sir. And this was called crisis of faith. Ooh, ooh, a little Orem nod, I think. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, if you're just tuning in, uh, we like to do what we like to do is we like to do a little recap of the episode before we actually like jump in the episode, especially when an episode is as long as this one was. So uh, if you're checking out just our recap, sometimes this is a separate video that we peel out and put as as its own thing. Uh, and then we jump into the discussion on the episode, what we thought about it, our kind of favorite theories and what have you. So again, if you're checking out just that recap video, we will in the description have a link to the full episode discussion. Uh, so you can check that out as well. But yeah, episode 61. Uh, this was such a an amazing episode. Um, the majority of it is going to be combat. What we typically do in combat sections is we highlight just the high points. Uh, this combat went so long that it actually went past the break, and there's a lot of really cool details to point out. So what I'll try to do is point out how things happened, but I'm also going just to mention some really cool moments. Um, first of all, we know that our man Bordor gave some laxatives to the guards in the previous episode. <laughs> And this is going to be a theme. It's going to be a little bit of a hijink in this battle scene where the guards, as the battle goes on, are going to be a bit stressed between protecting the flamekeeper Kiro and protecting the temple while also trying desperately not to poop their pants. <laughs> um, so that's the thing that's, ha that's happening. But basically, this is the battle against Kiro and the protectors of the Dawnfather's temple. Um, quite a bit happens here. Um, I'll go and say that that Elder Abedina is a total BA. Um, she is going to immediately summon a Earth Golem or Earth Guardian that is very much Hulk-like in the sense of just start smashing things and breaking things. And Abedina herself is a pretty impressive warrior. She's going to be casting Blight. In fact, she casts it on the Judicator that's present in the Cathedral. She's going to cast it on Kiro as well. Um, and really is a, a powerful force in this combat. Some other things that are going to happen. Uh, Denise is really going to be our frontliner. And she's going to have a bit of a tough time. The Judicator is going to do not one, not two, but three consecutive attacks on her. And Matt informs the party that when the Judicator is able to land all three hits, they have a special fourth ability they can do called Condemnation. And they are um, they actually cause Denise to be paralyzed until the end of her next turn. Speaking of, of Condemnation, Kiro is also going to cast Hold Person on uh, Orem and I think Ashton, if that's right. And if you're not familiar with Hold Person, it's a pretty deadly spell in the sense of people who attack you. I'm pretty sure you get advantage on their attacks on you. Fortunately, Ladna, I think with an Eldritch Blast, is going to uh, knock that concentration away from Kiro uh, so that the Hold Person spell is uh, ultimately going to fail. Um, but a lot's happening here. Um, several rounds of combat. At one point, Kiro is going to 
summon a guardian of faith, this like ethereal, I got D4 on the mind, man. This, this very much angelic type <laughs> creature uh, with like a sun for a face who is Kiro's just like how Abedina has the earth golem. Uh, Kiro has this guardian of faith. And um, as combat goes on, this guardian of faith is actually going to do some kind of like radiant fire AOE attack that like totally scorches many of like the townspeople. Uh, I think they ask like, is Chad okay? <laughs> Where is Chad? Is he all right? <laughs> and Matt's like, Chad wasn't there. It's okay. Um, but ultimately what's eventually going to happen is Bordor is going to be the one to deliver the killing blow on Kiro, uh, stabs her in the throat with his dagger, and then cups, very gross, cups her blood from her neck, vomits, <laughs> and then is going to take that blood and try to give it to um, Prism, who needs a vial of blood from someone who's just recently died to be able to summon her demon. That she's it's part of a big part of her plan. So um, the battle continues. Prism is going to eventually summon that demon, a Bargora. Um, and also, um, just when it seems like, yeah, we've probably won. All we have left is this Judicator. Like, no problem. The ceiling of the, like, the roof of the building is going to be filled with this radiant light. And a freaking angel is going to come down. Or they correct and say it's a, it's a celestial um, that is going to arise, uh, arrive and basically says, um, leave this temple now or you're going to be judged. <laughs> so the party now is having to fight this angel who not only is, I think, 30 or 40 feet up, but is also casting fireball. Uh, and there's this cool thing where both Ladna and Prism are constantly trying to um, counterspell the angel, but they're like always out of line of sight. It's just like the right positioning. Um, so the angel, um, or just so I don't get corrected in the comments, the Dawnborn angel, as Matt calls it, um, is going to be either casting that or is going to be casting the spell called Fiery Castigation. Um, and just a very uh, cool, high flavor um, kind of character. Um, and I think from there we go to the break before we continue combat. I think they do actually finish off the Judicator uh, before we go to break. Uh, like I mentioned, the Judicator is going to get a Blight casted on it. Um, I think they take it out before the break. If not, we'll... I think so. Okay, I was going to say, if not, you're going to let me know if I miss anything. But anyway, we go to break, and do you want to take it from there? Yeah, and uh, I think I think they did finish off the Judicator. So yeah. okay. <clears throat> We pick back up um, with this combat after the break, you know, again, between an angel, a demon and a rock elemental, essentially, and our, of course, our party. Um, <clears throat> again, just hitting the highlights here. Um, Ashton actually asks this rock elemental to toss him up yeah. so that he can <laughs> attack this flying angel. Um, and it's cool because at this point, the like command Elder Abedina had on the elemental had faded. Um so because of Ashton's like kind of connection to the elemental and also his high role, uh, the elemental does still oblige and toss them up in the air. Um, so Ashton makes two attacks, one on the way up and one on the way down and on the way up, it's a nat 20. So Ashton has this really cool move doing a ton of damage, uh, to this angel, uh, which is a really fun moment in the episode. 
Um, <clears throat> so again, this angel's in the air, so it's causing kind of uh, an inconvenience for people to be able to attack it. So Orem and Denise both actually climb on top of the demon, uh, like on its back, and the demon then leaps into the air um, and actually grabs the angel and tugs them all back, toppling down to the earth. Um, combat continues, uh, but Bordor actually ultimately rolls up to this now prone angel and casts Inflict Wounds, uh, basically grabbing both sides of the angel's heads, uh, the angel's head and says, enough. And he actually gets the, how do you want to do this moment? Um, and the angel just like turns to ash and basically burns away. Now with combat effectively over, the only two big entities left are the demon and the elemental, both of which, you know, were summoned by our team. Uh, the elemental actually goes over to the demon and basically like crushes both of them so that they're both gone, ending both summons. Um, combat's officially over now, uh, but Elder Abedina, still kind of empowered by these Eidolons and this elemental mist, begins to destroy the temple with vines like breaking through the windows and just like crumbling this Dawnfather temple. Um, <clears throat> Denise rocks up and is like, hey, you know, you owe us that scry now. And the elder's like, listen, I need some time to rest after a battle, but like we'll do it first thing tomorrow. Um, the party does, uh, I forgot to mention, sweep through the temple as it's being destroyed one last time just to see what they can find, see what they can loot. And they do get a number of religious texts and tomes, and um, Ashton and Prism actually also find a large sum of money, uh, which is the tithe that this community has been paying to the church. Um, <clears throat> and they also loot uh, Kiro's staff and blade. Basically, all this stuff is thrown into the portable hole. So they make their way out of the crumbling temple, and the people of the town are basically celebrating at the destruction of the temple and, you know, back to their normal setup before these people kind of moved in and started taking over. And um, Orum is kind of just taking in the complexity of the moment, having yep. defied a god to ultimately stop a man who's trying to end the gods. It's very gray. Um, and as these moments are happening, the remaining Dawnfather um, guards have basically been corralled and tied up. And Elder Abedina walks up and basically says, y'all have two choices. You can either leave this town um, and, you know, never look back type of thing, or you can stay and try to make amends for what you've done. And all but one guard takes their leave and walks out of town. Um, the only one that stays is a young man that obviously was like from this village and he just falls before the elder and begs for forgiveness. And she says, you know, in time there will be a way for you to make up for this. Um, Ashton and Prism then discuss this money that they found and ultimately decide to tell the Elder about it. Um, and she decides to give the money to Prolef and tells him, like, distribute this as you see fit. Like, you know better than anybody what's been going on here. Um, Orum and Ladna then have a great heart-to-heart -heart about their circumstances and that complexity of the moment that I was just referring to with Orum. And Ladna basically gives the same advice to Orum that Ashton had given to her saying that, you know, changing and fixing the world seems impossible, but we can at least save our friends. And so that's what they decide to focus on. And Orem says, you know, I don't know how much time we have left on this planet, but I just want to make the times we do have count uh, and spend them with the people I care about. And he tells Ladna, I don't know how you've bounced through history and ended up here with me, but I'm really glad that you did. You know, mm -hmm. just a classic, great, 
like Liam Marisha <laughs> moment. Yeah. Um, so then the elder leads uh, the whole crew back to her house because uh, they don't want to leave her side until she's made good on this uh, scry deal. Uh, and she again assures them that first thing in the morning, once she's had a chance to rest, uh, they will take care of it. So everyone's about to go to sleep, but before they do, there's a few more conversations, um, one of which with the elder. She explains a little bit more about the uh, Eidolons and how they've lived in these lands for a very long, long time, and they used to live symbiotically with the people before the gods took over. And she explains this isn't just like one entity. There are innumerable Eidolons. They are the childrens of the Titans, that first shaped Exandria, and they are echoes of them. Uh, basically, the elemental royalty of this world is how she describes it. Uh, then the party is like, well, is Perdathos going to have a problem with these Eidolons, just like he has with the gods? And they're not really sure. Um, Ashton and Laudna then have another heart-to-heart -heart where <clears throat> Laudna wants to know what Ashton wants to talk to the Elder about, because Ashton does want to have a conversation uh, with the Elder, we find out. And she says, is it about that um, Hishari helmet that you have? And he says, no, but like that's something I want to talk to you guys about once things kind of calm down a little bit. Um, but he does say that, you know, tonight was just the worst nightmare. Uh, tonight was the first time the gods saw Ashton. He wasn't mm -hmm. invisible. And he says, you know, it just it felt awful. And he's been judged by better. Um, <clears throat> after that, uh, everyone's going to sleep except Orem who leaves and goes to be by himself. Uh, and so border goes and actually follows after him. He eventually finds him and they have a conversation where border is like, Hey, you know, I've lived a very simple, small life. Like this is all new to me. Uh, and I had to fight something tonight that I've never even fathomed before. Um, and it, I felt nothing but like sadness and compassion at having to kill. So he's like, so what, like, what are we doing? And Orem says that, you know, I'm just trying to save my friends. If there's a one in 2000 chance of stopping more people from being killed, that's what I'm doing. And Border's like, well, I can get behind that. So then everyone takes and completes their long rest, except Orem, who stayed up all night. So a point of exhaustion for him. Um, but, oh, excuse me. One other thing is Prism and Laudna did uh, this this night stay up reading some of those religious texts that they looted and did find out that there was like this concerted effort to buy up more land in the region to build more temples. Um, there's also just discussion of the solstice and a dispersal of forces at these points of interest, presumably nexus points. Um, so morning comes and is now time to scry. Um, the elder does make a copy of the scry spell to give to prism so that she can copy. Um, but she then lets them know that, like, hey, I can do three scries, so divide amongst yourselves how we want to do that and let me know. So the first one is we are going to scry on the other half of Bell's Hells, and Orem gives the Elder the box Chetney made for him as, like, a reference point. Right. So they do that first, and they get this vision of the um, Bell's Hells in the snowy mountains, uh, which we know to be near Uthodurn, um, just traveling in the snow, accompanied by a woman that they don't recognize and an automaton that looks like FCG, but they notice that they're, you know, at least alive and okay. And I believe it's prism, but somebody in the group recognizes that they are near, um, yeah. Uthadur. Uthadur. Yeah. And they're like, how are we going to get to another continent? Um, 
And they ask the elder this, and she says, well, you know, you can always go to Vasselheim. There's probably people there. Uh, but there's also this um, man named Tevestro, uh, Herophant of the Emerald Tree, an archdruid that she wants to train under. Says it's about four or five days travel from here. Like, that could be a route you take as well. Next scrying spell, we have Denise, who gives up a piece of Dariax's hair. Um, she performs the spell and sees this dwarven man, kind of tired, sweaty, looking rough, um, sitting down in a dark space. A blue hand then touches his shoulder, and Dorian appears, also looking Woo! a bit rough. <laughs> um, we love you. That's Sorry, right. <laughs> uh, next up, finally, we have Bordor, who doesn't, he wants to scry on his brother, his sick brother, but he doesn't have any items to give to help with the scry. Um, but he ultimately decides, well, here, use my dagger. Like, maybe you can use that to look at my house. Um, and so the vision starts, and there's this homestead. Um, and they quickly realize that it's not Bordor's home. He's like, this this isn't my house. I don't know what this house is. Um, so they're not sure if the dagger is calling a connection to something, some other place of importance that Bordor just can't make the, the logical connection to. Um, or what he's just not sure what to make of it after that the elder is out of scries um, and so the party talks and decide their best course of action is to head toward that arc druid Hevestro. and the elder actually offers to give them a guide and asks wind fire or earth um, the party says wind and so she summons a wind cougar who then begins to lead them uh, toward this Hevestro, and that's where the episode ends uh, once again, that was episode 61 of Campaign 3, um, and I forgot the title. So, Crisis of Faith. There we go. Uh, yeah. Thank you, man. And again, if you want to see our full episode discussing um, all our theories and thoughts, uh, that'll be linked down below. Great job, man. Dude, this might have been like one of the coolest combats that we've seen just yeah. in terms of uniqueness, I forgot to mention in the recap, uh, Ladna's Hound of Ill Omen. So we had a lot yeah. of just really cool, not just like player um, unique actions, but also freaking summoning a demon, fighting an angel, uh, the Dawn Guardian that Kiro summons. I mean, there was just a lot of really cool stuff in this combat. Um, Matt and the Judicator. I mean, Matt yeah. really made it feel like this is an epic battle. Yeah, uh, it it was. It was crazy. Angels, demons, elementals. Um, and yeah, Lana, especially with how Marisha described it, of like it like bursting out of her like open chest, basically. Yeah. Um, brutal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, amazing. This was a really fun episode. Um, it. Like you mentioned earlier, it was a long one. I think just over five hours, and I watched yeah. this one live, um, which yeah, I didn't. I didn't expect to do, especially with a five-hour episode. But um, yeah. it flew by, which is why I'm saying all of this. Uh, so even though it was five hours, I was having such a good time that it really uh, went by in a flash for me. Um, so yeah, really enjoyed it. And uh, in addition to the really cool combat, we got some interesting lore and uh, some great, great character moments. So. Um, you know, yeah. I know we, we uh, joked about maybe not doing this segment anymore, but of course <laughs> I really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> Great character segments. Um, man, the cast is so good at the punchy one-liners, but also just like 
the really candid, honest, um, like I think when Orem was, we talked about this last episode too, like how's Orem going to navigate this potential conflict? And, um, it was cool. Liam reminding the group again, like, Hey, I'm a widower. And then being like, all right, I think I'm done with this convo. Like I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Just like leaving. Um, and then an amazing scene with Ashton, um, talking about this being like the worst night and his worst nightmare and, you know, continuing to, you know, build on this story of him being, um, you know, in his mind, worthless or having always thought he was worthless. And, um, you know, it's kind of crazy. We got another cool detail about his character of like, clearly having thought about the gods see me, like it's a world where the gods are quasi present in the sense of like their powers present, you know, am I seen? And then finally, just like he said it, you know, he is seen. And instead of it being like this, you know, maybe moment that he envisioned, it was, you know, leave now or be judged, you know, basically taking care of business. So, yeah, I was, and you kind of explained it there, but I was curious how you, how you, parse that because I wasn't entirely sure how to parse that conversation um but I like what you said in that like and correct I don't want to misphrase you here but are you saying that like that whole sentiment from Ashton was kind of on some level wanting to be seen like in his life and now it finally happened in like the kind of monkey's paw way that he hates yeah okay yeah, I, like that. I mean, yeah, I think you said it really well. I mean, and you know, there are these moments. I mean, it, it, we see this in other characters where like even most recently FCG having this moment with the change bringer. And I think Ashton envisioned as much for himself, like some kind of moment where he could maybe get answers or confirmation that he's not a mistake. And when he finally was seen, it was, you know, you're a problem in my way. Like get out of my temple. Like there was just a deep level of indifference to him individually, which I think that's why he called it his worst nightmare. It was, you know, not what it could have been, um, Mm. which could have been a really special, like you matter kind of conversation. Right. Yeah. Okay. I really like that. The tragedy of his character or the trauma of his character, I guess, you know, it's why, that's why he's my favorite. (laughs) I know you're gonna tell. I know you're gonna say Orem's your favorite when we Orem start talking is about my favorite dude. <laughs> Orem talking about Liam Liam. is so freaking good. <laughs> They're all good. Yeah. Okay, but I I really like that, and that's kind of what I was getting in the moment. Um, but I, I never did have a chance to go back and watch that part, but I I wanted to. Um, because yeah. I couldn't tell if there was. And again, it's been like a week since I saw it now, so this might be completely wrong. But I couldn't tell if during that conversation he was almost implying that he had already been seen by the gods before. But that's that's not the case, right? That, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really like that. And what a what a powerful moment for his um, just his character journey, like you said. And um, I think almost to build on top of that, the fact that he shared this. Right. You know, the fact yeah. that he like was vulnerable enough to open up about the fact how that made um, them feel, uh, which this is, you know, we've talked about the Laudna Ashton um, relationship, not I don't mean anything romantic by that necessarily. 
I mean, we never know. Um, but yeah, they're, they're just, their bond is deepening, which, you know, we've, we've, you specifically, um, have called attention to it a few times throughout the campaign. So, um, yeah, I just like all those pieces coming together that there's this moment and it's with her, um, just good stuff, man. Well, I think he resonates with Ladna more easily than anyone else because Ladna, um, what the outcome of who Ladna is was not planned. It was not expected. It wasn't, hmm. you know, I don't know if Ladna, I don't know if he would go as far as to like loop her into like, we're both mistakes. I don't think he would say that to her or about her, but she is, um, an outcome of, of tragedy. And I think he sees himself the same way. Yeah. So there's this really cool kind of natural relatability. And we keep having these moments where the two of them, have these conversations that you know yeah they're really cool so yeah i i really like that i had never like i had never like thought about it in that way but they both were kind of brought back against their will and it's slightly different because like laudna actually died and literally had no agency in coming back and ashton didn't die it was just kind of brought back from the brink uh but both were fundamentally changed in that Right. Neither. Yeah. Neither had any kind of agency or control on the means of how they were going to change. Yeah. I think um, Ashton, it was Milo, Milo. I can't remember. Milo. Yeah. Is the tinker. Yeah. Yeah. Just trying to save Ashton. Um, And not even just that, but way before that, um, the Hishari ritual that seems to have forever changed him. Um, I think that's kind of the more impactful thing, but, um, but yeah, pretty interesting. Um, we got a, speaking of Laudan, we got a Delilah mention in this episode. I'm curious if this, how much of this was flavor and if this, if this could also open the door to something story-wise with Laudna down the road, which I don't know. I mean, I could see it and, you know, speaking of Ashton, uh, Ashton seems to think that Laudna's in pate. I mean, he hasn't explicitly come uh, out. And Delilah. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, thank you. Uh, he hasn't, or uh, they haven't explicitly come out and, and said as much, but like. I think he did, plot. actually. Oh, he did? I think there was I, an episode. I, where yeah, he, there was like, like a moment where he like, where he threatened pate. Um, yeah, okay, yeah. But I, I didn't, yeah. I just mean like, he, uh, Ashton hasn't like said that aloud to like, anyone else that like i think delilah's still in there um but yeah just <clears throat> i mean not, not to not to wax too poetic on this we've pretty much covered it but just love their dynamic between the two of them and uh i think i think especially kind of folding into to, they have the connection it makes sense even without this for ashton to have like opened up to Lana. but it reminds me of that moment and again i'm paraphrasing because i don't remember exactly what it was but um, where Ashton was basically like, basically saying like, woe is me. This is what happened to me. And Laudan was like, Hey, hold up chief. Like I was alone for 20 years. Like, you know, like yeah. being a witch chased out of town. So I think he, yeah. you know, really can resonate with someone who has experienced something similar. Um, yeah. okay. Uh, <clears throat> moving away from them, but on the same subject of, you know, the angel that came down that evoked this emotion in Ashton. 
what's up with that, man? I Bro, like one a freaking nuts. angel just just comes into the combat. <clears throat> but the part that like really stuck with me is like why why is this like this specific moment in time, this battle with this random uh, you know there could be significance to it temple of the dawn father an angel is sent down to help like where was this angel in the hellcatch valley the night before you know like yeah like why what 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 makes this moment worthy of divine intervention which maybe it i mean that's the implication i got like literally divine intervention but maybe there was something else to it like maybe i don't know like was this yeah. a summoned another summoned creature and it wasn't like literally sent by the dawn father i think i think there is something there between um this random excavation site versus um a temple devoted to the dawn father like i'm assuming there's something there where it's like there's like a higher like leveraging of power and authority you do wonder like Hey, do you think we could have summoned an angel the day before maybe, or like done anything? <laughs> um, but if nothing else for me, I mean, I think, I think Orm did a great job of just navigating the conflict of like, what did we just do? Yeah. Because yeah, a freaking angel showing up. This, this, if nothing else communicates like, Hey, this isn't some like ragtag temple. Like you just killed the leader of this temple who worships the Dawn father the Don Father sent an angel to stop you, and then you killed them too. Which, by the way, I don't even know where angels go when they die. Do they go back to the Don Father? Or, <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> a good question. It was just kind of cool. It was cool though, because it's like, I don't know. It's like, and we talked about this last episode too, like what could this could mean for the party, but um, it puts them in a weird place where like, it's very much ends justify the means. Like, are we doing the right thing? As long as like the overall picture is the right thing, but, or I'm even coming to terms with, you know what, as long as I save my friends, like as long as I get to my friends, like that's okay. Um, which is a bit different from how it started, which was like, we have to stop, which I think it, it still is that, but it is, it's, I guess kind of neat that now he's like really transfixed on, is that a word? I don't know, but getting back to his friends, saving his friends, but, Anyway, the whole thing's very complicated and very complex, and it's very different from the other party who had a clear allegiance with Changebringer. And um, wasn't Abria's character also the Don Father? Yeah, the cleric of the Don Father. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is no small slight. I'm assuming that they've done. Yeah, um, I like I like what you said about the fact that it was a temple. And it could also be, and also, I think it's almost safe to assume, is the case that Ludinus had done this, that, and the other to kind of yeah. stay in the shadows with his intentions and plans. So uh, perhaps that was a factor too as to why I didn't. I don't really expect the angels to have, you know, all the gods to have showed up in the Hellcatch Valley because then we wouldn't have a story. You know what I mean? So to some extent, of course. Um, but I think there are things like like those that um, could explain that. It's uh, still but, a literal <laughs> angel. It's still just nuts to me. Yeah. 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 And we, it just got, we got very, very morally gray as it were, um, you know, which Orem said as much and was wrestling with as much. 
Um, but yeah, I'm very interested to see kind of, this is like a microcosm of it, but expanded out kind of the big issue we've been talking about for, for several episodes now of if this is going to come to some sort of, of decision of like, do we, not that like, do we let Pradathos out, but like if there is some sort of decision color, colored, however it may be colored of, do we help the gods or, you know, are we kind of better off without them type of thing? Um, obviously we know where Orem stands for the most part. Um, but you know, I don't know. Denise was very anti God. It felt like, um, or at least I think she's agnostic. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. She's just like, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. So, um, and I, I, we don't know what the guest situation is going to be like, you know, um, yeah. Frida and Deanna did teleport with, the other half of Bell's Hells. So maybe they're going to be there when these crews meet back up. Now, maybe Matt will be playing them if that's the case, or maybe, you know, a and Christian will be there. Uh, but a really interesting dynamic is that they just attacked, like you mentioned, a Dawnfather temple and Deanna yeah. is, you know, a cleric yeah. of the Dawnfather. Um, could that cause any well, friction? And even if, even if, Deanna isn't present. She, her boyfriend Chetney is presumably going to care about what she cares about. So it would be interesting if this kind of tension continues where I don't think the party's going to get a situation where like team AOL for some reason continues some kind of animosity towards the Don father. I don't see, I think this was very much like a one-off, like we just kind of have to do this. Yeah. Agreed. Um, it would be interesting if it did continue in some way. And there was some kind of friction where the people you least expect, um, which has been a bit of a theme, you know, FGG being the religious one, or, you know, if Chetney took up for the Don father because of Deanna, um, I don't think any of that's necessarily going to happen. I think honestly, what's going to happen is what we talked about or what seems to have been, we, we talked about it a while ago. Um, Imogen wanting yes. to take the gods out. And we had that conversation several episodes ago where Orum pulls Fern aside and is like, basically, <laughs> yeah, basically we're going to have to take her out if she's and Fern's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, a really crazy conversation. Yeah. Um, and I so far haven't seen anything that convinces me that we wouldn't head to something to that kind of situation. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there because I was thinking, like, could we ultimately be leading to any type of inner party conflict where lines are drawn? Um, and I'm with you that, like, I don't think team AOL is going to like become staunch anti-God. I think this was by necessity of them having to do that. Um, so I think if any lines are drawn, it's definitely the Imogen line. And then maybe Laudna just because she's probably more loyal to, to Imogen than anyone yeah. else. Um, and then even in that case, I don't really see it being like a, all right, PVP until people are dead type of situation. But, uh, <laughs> but if anything, that, that, that would be the line to me and not like team AOL versus team wild now. Um, but it'll, it'll certainly be interesting to see, especially if we do have all of the guests, um, which 
I don't want to get us too off track, but this is something I wanted to talk about and maybe it's not the right time for it. Um, but I am curious is there's a meta conversation here about the solstice and, you know, all the, all the above the board stuff with D and D five E and the OGL and all the new systems critical role is, is working on like, could this story be kind of culminating in a climax that is a, for lack of a better word, reset in some form or fashion. Um, if so, but maybe not even necessarily that has to be the case, but if so, I could see like the end of campaign three leading to some like very like climactic, not you like all campaigns lead to a climactic moment, but like leading to like almost like an Avengers type climax moment where like, maybe we do have all of these guests come, you know? And I don't, I don't know how it would logistically be handled if it's like switch off week to week, but I mean, presumably you might need everyone there at the same time. Anyway, I, I'm rambling, but it would be cool if like everyone did show back up and not that there was necessarily PVP going on, but like there's all these different like pushes and pulls for what people want to accomplish. And, you know, maybe we got campaign one people and campaign two people. And um, I just want Dorian back. That's all I care about. He's coming <laughs> back, bro. There's no, there's no way know. that we don't, don't see know. Robbie again this campaign. Right. I don't know. Well, it seems like he's pretty entrenched with the EXU group, Dariax and, I guess, presumably Opal. Well, yeah, but like if, you know, maybe they show up too as part of this Avengers True. Assemble. Is um, Denise going to show up too? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That would be funny though, because, you know, she obviously, or um, yeah, Denise has a thing for Dariax. And this never was really touched on, but it's one thing like we kind of just randomly speculated about during the end of EXU is that Dariax and Opal ever kind of flirting a little bit. So it would be, I don't really think that's the case, but it would be hilarious if like Amy had to have like a knockdown drag out like argument yeah. over Dariax with herself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> and she kind of did it already with Ted, you know, that's a <laughs> I, guess great Abria, point. I guess Abria acted that character <laughs> out mostly, but um, yeah, I also kind of wonder through that, that scene, if we we've talked about this, like, are we going to get another EXU arc? Um, arcs being not the right word. I think maybe they're calling them seasons. Um, could we be getting another EXU season, like of like what's happening, like during the solstice for them? You know, because we had the detail from Dorian that, you know, hey, Opal's getting pretty dark. <laughs> yeah, and uh, seemingly Dariax, who, um, for those who didn't see EXU, Dariax, who was played by Matt Mercer, was, you know, kind of the comedic relief and kind of the just just a real wholesome fun character and so seeing him in this scry spell deject is not the right word i guess concerned and worn down a bit like i don't know it kind of made me it made me feel bad and i was like Man, what's going on over there what's going yeah. on with their characters and are we going to find out yeah i mean <clears throat> i think that's definitely on the table um you know will we get that a hundred percent i mean I don't know. I'm not confident saying that, but I think it's a hundred percent on the table. And I even, this might be, you know, reading too deep into things, but I almost think that Matt giving us that scene, which doesn't tell us anything was almost kind of leaving that open. If there was like, if we do go explore right. that, you know, like he didn't write right. himself into any corners by saying like, Oh, this is where they are. And this is, 
this is what just happened. You know, um, we didn't learn anything about that scry aside from the fact that they were together yeah. and looking rough. Um, so I, I, I hope so. And I think we could, I mean, I, I think inevitably we're going to get more EXU. Uh, we've already had three seasons in a way. Um, so I definitely think more coming down the pipeline. It's just, will it be that story or not? Yeah. Um, but I, I think this, <clears throat> again, I'm not trying to like, you know, say the Avengers assemble and this big climax thing is happening. Um, but I think if something like that did happen, and I think we've talked about this before, but I think it makes a whole lot of sense to like tell some of those stories in an EXU format, like yeah. um, EXU Apogee Solstice type of thing, which that's already kind of happened, but EXU Perdafos Escape or something. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is kind of weird because it's. I, I do wonder like where does the party go from here? I mean, we know where they're literally going. They're going to meet this character. Uh, but I don't know. It just feels like, you know how the detail you shared with me in Vox Machina, um, specifically Pike back in campaign one, um, having like the severed relationship with, um, not the Dawn father, uh, who's her deity as you follow Everlight. Yeah. Or the, the, yeah, the Everlight is what they call it now. And I think you said that um, she had she had killed like a, a, a an NPC like pretty brutally or something, and like Matt created like a this was like an outcome of that, like her sigil got cracked or something. Yeah. So we know. I don't think that was a one off. I think Matt's proven over time that he allows moments to really shape and direct character stories. I'm really curious. Like this is this seems like a really big deal what they've done, you know, and that not even so much like for Orem, but just like in general, like they destroyed a temple to the Dawn father when arguably it's the most important time that the Dawn father would want that protected and killed an angel of the Dawn father. I'm really curious, like the outcome of this, like will it get swept under the rug or like, will there be, long-term consequences um in the very least consequences that Orem experiences not necessarily like externally forced on him but just i'm just i'm very curious like where this goes from here yeah me too and i mean i don't matt doesn't do things for no like he didn't just decide to throw an angel in that fight because it would be real cool you know like i definitely think there are implications and uh consequences to this it'll be interesting to see what they are for sure um not that this is important but do just want to throw it out the whole pike thing was also slightly informed by the fact that ashley was quite frequently gone in campaign one so like her having to leave to go take care of that that was also kind of part of why um but not to take away from the fact that that like character decision did greatly impact her character arc Mm. which i think the same thing could be true of this um but yeah, also, I, I do think, like I just said, that, that that it'll have consequences. And maybe those consequences are just like these character moments that we've already started to see in terms of shaping the way they see the world and stuff. But um, I don't know how much you can glean from this, but we do know that in the future, at the end of Team Wildmount's arc, uh, we have a discussion with 
the change bringer and the Dawn father sort of, um, Deanna does. So uh, the Dawn father is not the one that FCG was talking to, but the change bringer, you know, says your friends are, are okay and they're healthy and doesn't mention like also the Dawn father wants to kill them by the way. And <laughs> there he's going to, um, so not that, not yeah. that she would have told FCG that, <laughs> but cool I think now. the fact that it's at least somewhat of a good sign that it wasn't mentioned, which of course Matt couldn't have known depending on how they recorded. So yeah. maybe he wouldn't have known to give some sort of hint to that, but it, I think it's safe to say it hadn't happened yet since yeah. they've referenced the other arc. Um, yeah. In the so, recording. So. so Matt couldn't have, even if he wanted to, but I still don't like, I still, I think there will be consequences, but I don't think it's as like earth shattering as like the Don father has them as, you know, top 10 most wanted type of situation. Enemy number one. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not bored of you. I'm just, it's just very late. Yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, man, Orem. He's my fave. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Liam man. Is so we talked about this last episode. Liam is just so good at, I don't know if it's like the way he says things or just like his awareness of like the moment, but he's just so good at like seeing an opportunity for a genuine moment and then just like diving into it. Um, and yeah. very much, I mean, we had the great um, conversation back at Elder Abedina's place where you know, he was kind of like, I'm navigating like what we just did. And then later, the conversation with Bordor, um, where, and here's the deal. This is like, Liam slash Orem said like, hey, I don't want to be found. Um, yeah. And Bordor persisted and found him. And we got another moment I think it was a, a cool callback to Ashton pulling Orm aside and basically being like, Hey, like, like make sure you're taking care of yourself. Here's Orm off by himself, like trying to take a moment to process and border comes along and is kind of like grief stricken a bit about like, what did, what did I have to do tonight? Like I wasn't, I didn't want to do this. And Orm kind of has to take the role of like, you know, armor on the shoulder, you know, um, which I think just speaks to the kind of character Orem is and the kind of leader he is and that, you know, for better or worse, um, always willing to take up for other people, you know, even when he's trying to have a moment for himself, but I don't know. I just really liked that. Yeah, me too. And I, I also kind of like viewing it as you're saying this, I started thinking about it this way, viewing it through the lens of, you know, kind of one of his faults is not sharing his burden and him yeah. going out to be by himself is just him doing that, you know, like yeah, he once again, right. is not like talking to anyone and he's just going to be by himself. Um, but yeah, yeah. <clears throat> love that. And I also love just the commitment to the character. Uh, obviously Bordor did end up finding Orem and they did have their hearts to heart. Um, but when Utkarsh first was like, I go find Orem, um, Orem was like, I'm not there. Like, you can't find me. Uh, so, like, I liked that, like, he was being so true to the character that it was like, uh, you know, I don't care that this 
this guest PC like wants to have a conversation with my character right now. Like, no, like Orm's gone. Like he's, you know, dealing with his own stuff. Um, so yeah, just, you know, hats off to Liam O'Brien as always. Um, but yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about it in, in that light of, you know, he, he once again is having to, to help someone else and there's no one there to help him. Um, yeah. Which, you know, he and Londa did have that conversation and she did give him some advice, but still sure. on the on the grander scale, you know, he still stayed up all night, got the point of exhaustion. Um, but yeah, I really like the lens of viewing this whole dilemma, if I can simplify it in that way, through Orem. You know, we, we've talked about it, so I don't want to, yeah. you know, bore everybody with it again, but just he's like the only one that's really taken like a hard stance on this several times. Right. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see, especially where he goes from here after, you know, having done this tonight. Is he. Is he tied to the wild mother? Like, I think he's mentioned the wild mother, but we yeah. haven't had like a deliberate. Have they had like a deliberate interaction, though. They think all the way back to EXU. They haven't had like a conversation, um, but up until. Like right now, that's been a very rare thing in Critical Role, just in general, of having like a straight up conversation with a god. But they have somewhat of a relationship, you know. Uh, she's she uh, blessed him with that sword at right, the end of, of Chetney's trial thing. So like they have some sort of a connection. I wouldn't say he like worships her or anything, but there's definitely like yeah somewhat of a relationship there. Yeah, I wonder if I. All I'd say, I wonder if he'll be charged by her to like, hey, go do this now. Like he's like a, you know, a champion of the wild mother now. Yeah, I, I was uh, wondering the same thing. Um, if we would have any call to actions with this crew. Um, so, I mean, if anyone, seemingly it would be Orem. Um, yeah. So that, that'll be interesting if so. Um, but yeah, also given you know, what they just did and maybe what else they get up to over the next few days. Uh, you know, maybe that, maybe they don't, maybe that yeah. again, not that I, not that I think it's going to be them against the gods all of a sudden, but maybe the gods don't reach out to them, you know, for that yeah. or any <laughs> other number of reasons. Speaking of the next few days, I just, I kept going back to this stupid joke on my head of, you know, choose earth, wind or fire or whatever it was. And, uh, them choosing one and getting like something like really like boring, like a spirit turtle. And then like someone nearby, like chooses like fire and it's like a hulking. <laughs> They're like, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, all right, well, see you later. <laughs> Sucks to suck. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I real quick, I did think it was interesting that, uh, she offered, I believe it was air fire, or excuse me, wind, fire, or, or water. I have it written down. Hold on. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, wind, fire, or or earth. So I was curious why water wasn't an option. Maybe it's a nightmare to logistically. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> or whichever one was left out. I was curious why that one was left out. Um Yeah. Not not really anything maybe else it's to say. About one it. of the, you know, maybe Matt just did it out of the Eidolons that were present, which, by the way, interesting lore for Abedina, because we talked about the Eidolons and are these like hidden titans of some kind? Yeah. 
Um, when Matt described it as echoes of the Titans or of the primordials, I wondered, like, are we talking like literal descendants that have just been like hiding or leftover spirits that can't quite engage with the world since they're not like corporal or corporeal, whatever that word is corporeal, I think. Yeah. Um, what was your take on that? Yeah. I, w- I wanted to talk about this too. Um, yeah. So last episode, we did a lot of speculation on what this Eidolon was. And now we do know that, like you mentioned, they're like echoes, kind of the children, the shades of, uh, so to me, it's like the remnants of these Titans. Um, so I guess you could say children in a sense, you know, uh, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I didn't take it as a literal, the remnants is kind of where my mind was going. Yeah. Like, right. And I thought it was interesting that it's not just like one faction. This is a word that encompasses like all of these things across the planet. Um, so I don't know if it's fair to say this, but perhaps like Eidolons of fire, Eidolons of, you know, earth, water, wind, Captain Planet. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in these things because this is the first we've heard of them, I think. Maybe they were called a different name and we've referenced these at some point in, in the campaigns, but um, I don't, there was, I brought this up last episode, uh, but there was the notes in Ludinus's notes about the like secret Titan that evaded yeah. the gods. And then the language uh, Abedina used was that the Eidolons hid from the gods. So I don't know if that's just like coincidental language um, because the, the Titan that hid from the gods or whatever implies like a singular entity, not whereas the Eidolons, you know, represent like this whole class of being. Um, yeah. I don't think they're one and the same in my mind. Like, I feel like <clears throat> though, I think these two groups for lack of a better phrasing, the hidden Titan and the Eidolons, I, I would assume are in um, cahoots is like the stupid, it's not the right word. Like they're not necessarily planning together, but are symbiotic, I guess, is the word that I'm thinking of. Um, but I don't think they are the same thing is where my mind goes. Yeah, I don't think they're like the same thing either, because like by definition, they almost couldn't be. Um, yeah, but I could also see it maybe being like a. Just like a uh, what's the word like a discrepancy in how history has has traveled over the last thousand years like maybe yeah. both things are referring to like the same thing yeah like the same idea yes as okay. it were um <clears throat> yeah i like that um uh, but because the fact that they both like hid from the gods um i do think it, it at least somewhat they must be speaking about the same sort of thing um but it's just yeah it's interesting that uh there are these spirits, let's call them, with power and influence, as it were, uh, that are kind of in a prime position to get their get back. You know, like they've kind of had to been laying low for all these years because of the gods, and now they just took down a temple. Um, uh, yeah, I just, uh, Abedina said some interesting things. Like, uh, again, I think kind of implied that mortals predate gods. Yeah. Right. Um, again, I'm paraphrasing, but she said something about like, you know, we lived symbiotically 
before yeah, they came. I had I clocked that exact same thing because it was like, wasn't it's well, hasn't the story been told that the deities created people? Yeah. I mean, so yeah, there was that, but then there was also a statement she said, which was like the well, I guess these don't necessarily they wouldn't be mutually exclusive, but she made the comment that the primordials made way for like they made room for humans uh but then the gods didn't make room for the pri- like the primordials the titans and they yeah. you know, had their war or whatever which as the canon as we've known it up until this point was that the primordials the titans were like we're tired of this human shit like they need to go and that's what led to the the war because the betrayer gods were like yeah we're with yeah the, we're with the primordials yeah. and they fought against the the prime deities so in that explanation of things the primordials did not make room for the humans but abadina is saying like yeah the primordials were like chill humans are here like we'll make room yeah, for yeah. you yeah so <laughs> is it All again just well like said, another <laughs> discrepancy in history or well I know that Matt and Talison are wow junkies or at least blizzard junkies in the sense of like, they do a lot of projects with them and tiny spoiler. If you've played wow or have played wow, world of Warcraft, a big massive story theme recently has been basically everything, you know, about wow's history was very much history is written by the victors in that, you always knew the Titans were like the saviors of Azeroth. And then we found out, or we are in the process of finding out like, Hey, it's not quite that way. Like maybe, maybe the Titans are, have always been portrayed as these benevolent creatures because they're the ones who won. So like naturally you, yeah, yeah, I'm the good guy. I did the right thing. And so I get that same vibe. The more we progress into this campaign of like, you know, the prime deities, like we're great. And then like, you guys are kind of a douches, you know, <laughs> there still is like this interesting rubbing point though, with the betrayer gods. And it does make me think back to calamity of, you know, the, yeah. this, that awesome back and forth with Xerxes and, uh, Brittany Mulligan's, uh, Lord of the hells, um, where they want to decide with the primordials. That's kind of what kicked off this whole, like you are the betrayers, you know, et cetera. It makes me think a lot more about that conversation. And if the humans, essentially humans, if, if people coexisted with primordials, it'd be kind of an interesting twist of irony. If the betrayer guys were, you know, also coincidentally like, Hey, we're pro whatever the primordials want to do. Like we're pro that. And yet, you know, history has been portrayed now quite differently. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to figure out what's actually what, but I think you're right in terms of history is written by the victors. And so I think the story we've been told is definitely clouded by that. And, uh, but yeah, I, I was thinking, saying, by the way, history, I was like, is that the same? We're not very good with sayings, but yeah, I no, think I think that, right. I think that's right. Cause then I was like, there's to the victor go the spoils. So I was like, which one is it? Anyway, I think I think both and all all chips are lifted up by the water. Sometimes (laughs) water rises boats. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I was thinking of that same back and forth from Calamity, um, which it's that's so hard to parse, too, because he was manipulating the hell out of Xerxes. So it's like what of that was was true and earnest, if any of it, maybe all of it. 
Um, but yeah, so I was wondering that too, but I definitely get the sense of, you know, that this, the story we've been told has definitely been colored by the powers that be at Vasselheim, which I think could also kind of explain like, kind of, if we take the gods out of it completely, just for the sake of this point, um, like, let's just say the prime deities are all paragons of, of virtue. Um, the powers that be on Exandria, like the powers that be at Vasselheim are not, you know, they're, they're human, if you will. Uh, so maybe some of this has just been their own, like specific, like painting of this story to serve their own needs. Like we know as much, we know as much as that they've like hidden certain information, uh, you know, like, uh, freaking, what are their names? The two gods, which I can't think of the names, uh, that Pradathos killed and ate. Um, so like, what else have they hidden to serve their own narrative and stuff, you know? Um, and we know that not that, not that Flamewalker Kiro and these random villagers that happened to work at this temple were all like bad guys or anything, but there could be like some not so above the board directors that are facilitating all this stuff. And, you know, maybe the Dawnfather's still not happy about it, but like, maybe it is a good thing that this temple and these establishments are getting kind of knocked around yeah. a little bit. Uh, I don't know. Cause we do know that, you know, judicators are out here just killing people to, to get what they need to get done. And uh, co- corruption, I guess is the, yeah, the thesis you know, point and that I'm working I'm not- toward. I'm not saying, I'm not saying hire me for your church PR, but you know, maybe we could rethink the judicators just a hair. <laughs> it just feels like it's sending the wrong message, you know, the faceless dogs of war are not your, yeah, not the your speed. I did think that like was cool. Literally though. fused to their face. Yeah. So. Uh, it gave me yeah. like big full metal alchemist vibes for some reason. Um, I don't know <laughs> if you ever watched that, but no, uh, it's a good show. It's a good show. Um, yeah, I kind of, um, I kind of got lost in my own tangent there, so I forgot, oh, yeah. I forgot where and we I'm, were. And I'm fading fast, also, just coincidentally. Um, what else from this episode do we want to um, talk about? I think we hit all the main things, but you know, per usual, let me give a quick, a quick note skim on my phone. Um, I do, I do. There was, there wasn't any like big bullet points this episode, but I'm still all aboard the Bordor is a dog train. Did I was going to ask you, in fact, I, in my D and D session tonight, uh, there's a guy who watches critical role and I was like, Hey, are you caught up? And he was like, yeah. And then, um, we started talking about Bordor. He's like, oh, I just love Bordor. Um, and I was like, you know, my buddy has like a theory that Bordor is a dog. I guess I didn't do it justice though, because I kind of gave like a little brief, like, yeah, this is what he said. And my buddy was like, yeah, that's Wasn't weird. Feeling it? He's just like, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> okay. Well, now I hope like, it is right. Just to spite him. <laughs> um, I, I, but actually speaking of Bordor, I, 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 something, a detail I did forget. Um, what's up with the house? The scrying spell. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was wondering that too, because I mean, again, playing into the dog theory, if he is, if he was transformed, you know, I I would feel like his gear, that dagger and stuff doesn't really have a deep connection to him, actually. You know, like it may even yeah. be something that he only recently got. So maybe that house is like 
whoever actually made the dagger, which Bordor, of course, doesn't know. Um, if he it, is a dog, maybe he maybe he doesn't know he used to be a dog. Yeah, possible. Maybe um, he just remembers the most recent, you know, sheep herding. Or yeah, something. I mean, I think that would on, honestly make the most sense. Uh, you not to get too in the weeds on it, but like obviously dogs, especially like in terms of five E statistics, have a really low intelligence, so it probably probably doesn't have like the mental capacity to reconcile that Very he was a dog. You know, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think there's two possibilities is one the on the dog side of things, I, the dog thing doesn't have to be true for this I, side. I of like, things. by the way, we can't just parse this memory for what it is. Like it has to fit in Wait. the narrative. It's like, yeah, we didn't remember the house. Cause you know, like maybe because of, and like now we're like down the lines of like, well, because he's a dog no. is why he didn't recognize. Okay. Yeah. Well that would explain it at least. That's and I'm saying there's there's let's let's say there's infinite reasons that could explain it. That's one of them. So there's that side of things where there's like there's a reason that he doesn't recognize the house or he's lying. But I don't think that's I don't think that's the case. Yeah. Um. But maybe he is. Uh. But so I do think it's it's either because he's a dog or because this that and the other reason that the house is just not important. Um. Yeah. Or he's lying, and there and there's more there. Uh, I mean, it it's not a binary situation, but yeah, I don't know. I I think that for my money, the house isn't really important unless it's something to a dog reveal type of thing, like you know. But I don't know. So how did how did you parse it? I don't know. It? I I don't know. I I think it's very interesting. I think it was the time spent there was so brief and it was very odd to me because it's one of those moments where you like, it's like, man, if we had more time, I wonder if the party would have pressed a little bit more into it because they had to convince him. Cause here's what's interesting. They had to convince him to do the scry for his brother. Um, very much like we're not going to take no for an answer. And I took it as him being, um, very much just like sacrificial. Um, but then once we finally did get the scry and it wasn't his house, it's interesting to me that it was just like deliberate, not deliberate, it's not the right word, but just that like, that's not my home. That's not it. And then it was left. So I'm wondering if there's still like more to that conversation. We know, we know they have the scry spell now. So will we have another attempted, you know, let's see your brother. Will we get more of this home? Uh, and is he feigning? Um, I guess there's be no reason for him to lie. But I did wonder, like, is he feigning? You know, he didn't. He was trying to be sacrificial, but like, what if he didn't want the scry to be on him? And then, right. like, doubly, like, doubly also was like, oh crap, that's a house I don't want them to see. That's not, I don't know what that house. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just, I was wondering if there's just, if there's more going on that he's in the know on, or if it really is just like, he's just as clues as we are. Like whose house is this? Like there's yeah. something he doesn't know. So. Yeah. I, de I definitely think there's something, in, something to that whole exchange. Um, but I, I'm okay. not sure. Cause it was between him and prism. Right. And what did, what was yeah. prism's potential scry? I don't remember. Um, 
I don't know. There was like some conversation of lewdness, even like Ludus's name was like thrown up oh, yeah, there. They, right? Yeah, that's right. They could check. And I was out. like, that could be really interesting. Like what's Ludus been doing? But yeah. I guess they didn't have an item for him or it was just in passing. But um, for Prism, I don't remember, honestly. Maybe she didn't have one. Maybe it was between Bordor and like Ludinus, like yeah. you said, or something. Um, yeah. yeah, I definitely, <clears throat> I definitely think there's something to Bordor that is to be revealed. Now, if it's that he's a dog or not, um, I clearly think there's some element to that character that is going to be unveiled. Yeah. Um, so presumably the house ties some way into that. It has to be at this point. We've, we've gotten so invested in it, yeah. you know? <laughs> yep. Big Mephisto <laughs> vibes. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, anyway, let us know what you guys think. Is Bordor a dog? And also your favorite thoughts and theories from this episode. Um, do we have anything else to talk about? Will? I don't think so. I skimmed through my notes. We, we hit the big things I wanted to talk about. Yeah, okay. okay. Well, as usual, guys, um, we always appreciate you guys tuning into our episodes. We want to know what you thought, so feel free to jump into the comments. We also have a Discord that you're welcome to join. It's open to anybody, and we typically talk through episodes as they're happening. So surely tomorrow night when the next episode goes up, we'll be chatting about it in that Discord. Um, yeah, come join than, us. Yeah, other than that, we'll have the final episode of The Ravening War coming up. We'll have Worlds Beyond. Um, I'm traveling this weekend, Will, so I'll probably listen to it while I'm traveling. Um, episode eight, I guess. Uh, a little Diablo 4 content, and I guess that's it. So, yeah. A little thumbnail action? A little thumbnail. What do you, I know you were brainstorming this already, so you got any ideas for what we All should I'll do? say is that the thumbnail currently is pretty good. Um, but I think just like, looks of shock or surprise because there were just some big combat moments where it was just like what yeah yeah all right i'm um, about it all right cool let's do it all right <laughs> <laughs> nailed it as usual perfect all right already... guys Go ahead. <laughs> I, was, I was just doing the same thing you were i was just gonna say all right yeah. guys well you know we appreciate it and i hope you guys have a wonderful night and it's almost thursday baby so until next time. Yep. All right. See you guys. <laughs>